welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Hey, to start off our Easter service and seeing what God is doing, uh, not only through our team, but throughout the world. It's because of Easter that we send teams down to Mexico to build homes for people who might not yet have a home. It's because of Easter that we support missionaries in Ukraine and around the world and locally uh, because of the risen Christ. Because of the risen Christ, we continue to feed people through a food pantry. And because of the risen Christ, we keep sharing the good news of the gospel, uh, that death is not the final answer, that, that he is risen he is risen. The tomb is really empty. We're going to talk today about an empty tomb because the empty tomb points first to a resurrected Jesus. And in Matthew 28, I'm going to point to four realities of an empty tomb. And this first one is that the tomb is empty. It points to a resurrected Jesus. Now, I have two daughters, my older daughter, Avery, and a younger daughter, Grayson. And uh, this last week, Avery told little sister Grayson, hey, let's put on some music. Grayson says, I have a great idea for a song. Let's prepare for Easter. We're going to put on the song. She says, who let the dogs out? Anyone remember that song? That's like my era. That's, I mean, I used to be cool. I mean, that's, that's, that's my jam, right? Who let the dogs? So big sister Avery is like, no, we're going to play a Christian song. And then little sister Grayson did not miss a beat. She said, who let the Lord out? Who, who, who? You didn't think you'd see that today, did you? Every time you hear that song now, you're going to be thinking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. The tomb is empty. The Lord is out of the tomb. And so Easter Sunday really should be the most important holiday for followers of Jesus because the Apostle Paul said this. He says, if Christ hasn't risen... All of us Christians are to be pitied, most of all people in the entire world. If Christ hasn't risen, then we might as well stop tithing. If Christ hasn't risen, why bother building homes in Mexico? If Christ hasn't risen, why bother helping missionaries in Ukraine who are helping refugees who are fleeing the war? Why bother? Why bother telling people about a life after this life if it isn't true that the tomb is empty and Christ has risen. See, it's only by joining your finite life to this infinite life who we know as Jesus Christ, the risen one. It's only by joining your finite life to his infinite life that your life takes on importance. It takes on permanence. It takes on everlasting value. Without a resurrected Christ, all that we do is simply philanthropy and it disappears. But with a resurrected Christ, what is only philanthropy, with Jesus it has lasting value. With Jesus it matters. It's only by joining your finite life to his infinite life that you'll get the meaning that your life is always meant to have. That You'll find the purpose that it was meant to be. Only with a resurrected Jesus is your life cease to become forgettable and negligible. Oh, but with Christ, everything matters. With the resurrected Christ, that love and that hope that you're looking for, you find it in him. Because of an empty tomb, 
points to a resurrected Christ. Now, here's the thing. An empty tomb was an actual historical event. It's not myth. It's not legend. And it was a historical fact proven by this detail in our text, Matthew 28. It was the women who found the empty tomb first. You might, might wonder, why does that even matter? Well, because if you were Christians trying to make up a story that sounded believable, you wouldn't have the first eyewitnesses to be a class of people, women, who at that time, 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, whose word was not even admissible in court. If you're going to make up a story and make up a good one and make it believable, why would you purposely include a fact that would completely undermine your story from the get-go? It was the women who discovered that Jesus had risen. Why would they include it? I'll give you a hint. Because it actually happened. They're simply telling the true story, the facts as they unfolded. Why would early Christians make up a resurrection story and then undermine their own validity by including this detail? It's because it's true. They really did find an empty tomb. Jesus really did rise from the dead. And I want you to notice this one thing, that the angel who rolls away the stone, he didn't do it to let Jesus out. He did it to let the women in. Who let Jesus out? Himself. He did it. The stone is rolled away for the women to peer in. The early Christians were convinced that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And that's something that Muhammad and Buddha and Martin Luther King and not even Elvis could do. They all are still dead. Oh, but not Jesus. Only trusting in a resurrected Jesus will you find life. Second thing the empty tomb points to, it points to forgiven sins. Now, at the Last Supper, some of us celebrated it. If you had some Jewish friends, they're celebrating Passover. I was at a Seder meal with a Jewish friend the other night. And we're talking about uh, bread and, and wine and the cup. These were all celebrating these great stories of the Jewish history. And our Jewish friends are waiting for a Messiah to come. And what Jesus does at the Last Supper, this Passover meal, he points to his own crucifixion and he reinterprets the Seder meal, the Passover meal, and he reinterprets it about himself. He takes the bread and says, this bread is me. It's my body. And then he takes a cup of wine and he says, see this cup? It's my blood. It's a new covenant shed poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus wants people to know if you're looking for true life, it requires forgiveness of sins. Empty tomb points to the fact that you needed forgiveness of sins. Now, my wife, Katie, at our previous church, was, she was a children's pastor. She's always introducing our little ones to great stories. And so she introduced this book called The Sparkle Egg Book. It was a great way to tell little kids, this, a fun way to be thinking about, you know, those little Easter eggs and Easter bunnies. It was telling a gospel story. And so it tells a story about Easter, has a fun activity for kids. They get to decorate eggs just like they always do. But here's the one thing. We have sparkles on it, make it all lively to remind them of the beauty and the life of Christ. And then kids are instructed to go and take a piece of paper and write on it something that would make God's heart sad. 
You send the little kids away, and Katie explains to them what you do. Maybe it's something, maybe something in your own heart that might make God's heart sad. Maybe you told a lie, or maybe you weren't nice to your brother, you know, earlier this week, or you know, maybe you weren't, you know, being generous in some way. Something in something in you that makes God's heart sad. Write that on the piece of paper. Draw a picture, and you put it in the egg. And what happens on Easter morning? That piece of paper is miraculously gone. And represents, of course, the life in Christ. It's a great story. Now, here's the thing. When Avery was a little, little girl, maybe she was five, maybe a little bit younger, tells the story, and then Katie tells her, now go ahead and find something in your heart that you know, kind of makes God's heart sad. And she goes away, and she comes back kind of like distressed. She's like, Mom, I, I can't think of anything to write down. I only have love in my heart. It's like, oh, that's so sweet. And so dad comes in and says, you know what? You go in your room and you go find a sin to confess. And do not come out until something is on that paper. No food for you. Something like that. Maybe for some of us, we think, I don't have any sin in my heart. That's okay for a five-year-old. But for us 15-year-olds and 25-year-olds and 55-year-olds and 85-year-olds, have we forgotten that we needed a Savior to die? That we desperately needed an empty tomb? Not with a stolen body or misplaced body, but a resurrected Jesus who overcame sin and death for you. This is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for forgiveness of your sins. Jesus did this for you. Do we forget that we are sinners in need of a Savior? Because there's no better day than Easter to say, Jesus, forgive me. I've taken you for granted. I just thought this was all ritual. I thought I was trying to be a good person. Oh, no. None of us are good, really. We needed a Savior who took our place and poured out his blood that we might find salvation. The Bible says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The empty tomb reminds us that he succumbed to death to secure our forgiveness. Thirdly, an empty tomb tells us to endure. I'm going to read verse 7 again. The angel says to the women, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he, Jesus, has risen from the dead and behold, he has gone before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. You see, the joy of the empty tomb because of a resurrected Jesus who has forgiven their sins, who was mixed with the fear of not knowing what does this mean for our lives. Fear and great joy together on Easter morning. Did you know that? Maybe you come with joy. It's Easter. There's eggs. I'm having my favorite brunch today. Amazing. Jesus is risen. But maybe you have some fear. It's okay. So did they on Easter morning. Fear mixed with joy in our lives on this earth until we see Jesus face to face. It happens. What Jesus is doing is calling us to endure until we see him again. 
I know for, for some of us, we're, we're, we're used to coming to church, and so we see flowers. We see some kind of Easter lily around the world or Easter lilies around Christian churches of all stripes. This morning, we see some beautiful lilies today. I, I don't know if you know this, but traditionally, the, illy, the lily started showing up in churches as a way for Christians to remember loved ones who have passed away. It was a reminder of the beauty that awaits us in this life after this life. It was a reminder of the life and the hope and the goodness that awaits those of us in Christ. I know for some of you today, this is the first Easter Sunday without a loved one. There's joy in Easter and there's fear or the loss or some sadness, or some other unanswered prayer, or some hardship that we bring. And these lilies themselves remind us there's a life beyond this life, that from the ground life grows in Christ. You can have that hope. Because of the empty tomb, we too can have faith that life follows death for those who put their trust in Christ. And so until that day, and when we will be able to look back at our life and see all the twists and turns and all the dark corners and all the unanswered prayers, until that day, Jesus is asking us in the midst of joy, in the midst of that fear to endure, I think. And he says this to the disciples before he ascends to heaven. He says, I am with you. I am with you. Tells them to not, to not be afraid. So we need to trust the resurrected Jesus that we cannot see the way we want to see him now. And one day he'll show us that he never abandoned us. He'll show us that even in the loss of a loved one, even in the midst of cancer diagnoses, even in the midst of relationship disappointments and all of our failed dreams, that in the midst of that, the resurrected Jesus is asking us to endure. Joy, yes, even in the midst of some fear of the unanswered parts of our lives. These Easter lilies remind us about resurrection hope for all the losses, for all the tombs of our lives. What losses, what tombs are you facing? Joy mixed with fear, Jesus says, endure. He says this in verse 10, do not be afraid. I know you are. I know you're lonely. I know you're sad. I know that problem you have. I know, but do not fear. Jesus says, I'm with you. And so we do celebrate an empty tomb today. It's because Jesus, who is dead, is now alive and he's reminding us to stay faithful even though we cannot see him, even though the cancer has not been eradicated even though you have yet to secure that romantic relationship that you are sure is going to fill your soul forever and ever and be perfect, do not fear. Even though you're waiting for that career opportunity to turn that corner, you're waiting for that word of affirmation from that certain person that you know it would really make a difference in your life if you just hear that they're proud of you. Jesus says, I'm with you. Do not fear. He's asking you to endure the empty tomb. And if you read the, all the gospel accounts, the thing that you will notice is that in this account, it's not until they stop looking at the empty tomb that they see the resurrected Jesus. 
So Jesus understands the tombs in your life, the unanswered prayers in your life, the disappointments. But I want to give you a little hint. Sometimes you got to stop staring at the empty tomb and look for Jesus in the midst of the unanswered things. It's when they leave the tomb that they see the resurrected Jesus. Jesus is always trying to get our eyes to look up and to see him and to hear him and to sense him. And even today, in this moment, will you see him? In the midst of an Easter brunch, you're eating marshmallow bunnies, even though that's really weird that we do that. We see Jesus in the midst of maybe some awkward conversations around the table because maybe only once a year you get together that you see Jesus. Or maybe in a moment of loneliness today because you're missing someone. Oh, to see Jesus. You won't see him as clear that he keeps staring in the spot where he isn't. Where is he? He comes near to the brokenhearted. So you offer up your heart to him, your life to him. Comes near to those who, who praise him. We'll do it all. We'll, we'll bring him our tears. We'll bring him our praises. But we hear this word, do not be afraid. And Jesus' further words, I am with you. The empty tomb reminds us to endure. He wants you to trust him in your days filled with joy and to trust him in your days mixed with fear. Isn't that great? He still wants to be near you, regardless of your status. One of the only people in your life who will do that. <laughs> He'll always stay near. Fourth thing, the empty tomb is really a love story. When Jesus says in verse 10, do not be afraid, it's because the empty tomb means he, ex he has exchanged his life for your life. I'm going to tell you a story. It's February 1941 in Auschwitz, Poland. A man named Maximilian Kolbe, he was a Franciscan priest, and he was put in that infamous death camp for helping Jews escape Nazi terrorism. And months went by, and in desperation, some of the prisoners staged an escape. And there was a camp rule that was enforced. It would be that 10 people would be rounded up randomly and herded into a cell where they would simply die of starvation. And it was a lesson for future escapees to never try this again. Just one day, names were called, and a Polish Jew named Frendyszek Gasovnicek, his name was called. And he cried, he said, wait, 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 I have a wife, I have kids, please. And so Colby, Maximilian, steps forward and says, I'll take his place. And so Colby was marched into a cell with nine others where he starved to death until August 14th. This true story was chronicled on NBC News several years ago. And it had on camera Gasovnicek, now 82 years old. And they're interviewing him and walking around his little white house while tears are streaming down his cheeks as he recounts the story. And the mobile camera followed him around his house and it came to a marble monument carefully tended with flowers. And an inscription said this, in memory of Maximilian Colby, he died in my place. And since 1941, every day, Gasovnicek 
Every day that he lived, he lived with the knowledge, I live because someone else died for me. Every year on August 14th, you know what he does? He travels back to Auschwitz in memory of Colby. Jesus says in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You know, in verse 9, when Mary stops looking at the empty tomb and she turns around and Jesus greets her. And in our Bible, it says, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. So I did a really deep study on that word. And the best translation of this ancient Greek word is, hi. It really is. Jesus just rose from the dead. He's like, hey, what's up? It's me. Good news. I'm not there anymore. That's a friend. Do you know Jesus is your friend? Your life doesn't have to be meaningless. Your life doesn't have to be purposeless. Your life doesn't have to be about getting that job or finding that true love. I'm telling you, there's a love beyond all other loves. A true friend. Someone who will love you regardless of your status. In joy and in fear. Cancer and no cancer. He loves you constantly. Jesus is here today saying, hi. For some of us, you've never put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Jesus is saying, come home. It's the love you've always been looking for. Come home. He died in your place. Every day you can live knowing that Jesus died so that you can live. He didn't do it only because he had to do it. He did it because he wanted to do it. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Somewhere today where you're eating a marshmallow bunny, I want you to know you have a friend named Jesus. And he'll be as close as you will allow him to be. Somewhere today, if you've never said this, you say, Jesus, come in. Make your home in me. I need you as my friend and in my Lord, my Savior, forgive me. Come in. And what he'll say? Hi! The empty tomb is a love story. You know, in the New Testament, there are four gospel accounts. They all have different details and really interesting perspectives. In John's gospel, in chapter 20, there's a famous story of doubting Thomas. Now, poor Thomas. He's memorialized in history as doubting Thomas. And don't you hate it when names like that stick on you? Like Tiny Tim? <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Very funny. Or ye of little faith. Ha, ha, ha. I never heard that one before. Don't you hate it when names stick doubting to I feel for him. No food for you. Okay. Yet made fun of. Doubting Thomas demands to see the scars of Jesus in order to believe that Jesus is really alive. Honestly, I would have done the same thing. Jesus is, I mean, 
The disciples still think he's dead even after women told them. Why? Because back in that day, he didn't believe what women said. The disciples didn't even believe the women. He's like, I got to see the scars. Show me, sh- show me dead Jesus alive with scars. Then I'll start believing. So Jesus shows up and he says, guess what he says? You can go read in the story. He says it again. Hey, John 20 shows him the scars. I want you to notice, first of all, Jesus answers Thomas's prayer. Isn't that, isn't that a good friend? This ridiculous request, Jesus says, all right, I'll do it. And I think it's so interesting that Jesus chose to keep his scars. Don't you? Because when I think of my future resurrected body, I think this body that the Bible promises to be new and brighter and better than ever before, right? The old is gone, the new has come, my new body. I don't tend to think of my body with scars, I don't tend to think of myself as five foot four anymore in my future resurrected body. It's like, I don't tend to think of myself with thinning hair or a waistline that isn't maybe quite where I want it to be. I imagine myself a little taller, a little bit better hair, maybe a six pack of abs just for fun, you know? Why did Jesus choose to keep his scars? I tend to think that Jesus was trying to make a point that the wounds inflicted upon us and the wounds that we inflict upon ourselves in this life have some kind of meaning in the economy and the trajectory of heaven, that God wastes nothing, even your scars. In Jesus, your scars matter. With Jesus... There's no wound or loss or pain or disappointment that is meaningless or unredeemable. When you join your finite life with the infinite life of Jesus, the resurrected one. Does that make sense? It's only by taking your pains and wounds and losses to Jesus that your brokenness makes sense. Because without him, it doesn't make sense. This loss this injustice against me, this injustice in the world, none of it makes sense unless there's an infinite God who will judge all things in the end. And there's some way for you, for your imperfect life to join with his. None of this world makes sense. But for those who choose to embrace the love and forgiveness offered because of an empty tomb, we can find that our tragedy become triumphs in Christ. Our dreams can have direction with Christ. Our pains can have purpose with Christ. When your finite life joins the infinite life of Jesus the risen one, none of our pains or tears are unknown to God and they matter with Christ. What pain and tear and empty tomb do you bring today? Friends, you do not have to go on this alone. With Christ, they matter. And you can have healing and have hope. The empty tomb isn't just an empty tomb. It's not just some cruel joke that you're living in this life. Oh, no. There's a friend 
who will always love you and never abandon you through the ups and downs of your life. He's waiting for us to see him and to say yes. Jesus asked Thomas, he says this, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is praying a blessing upon you. All of you who have not seen a physical risen body of Christ with the wounds, he's praying a blessing upon you. Bless you. Bless you for believing even though you don't see. So I want to pray that same blessing over you. That Jesus is praying here. That may you leave this Easter service blessed because you've believed in the one you cannot see. That you have believed in the midst of joy mixed with fear. That you are putting your hope in Christ even though the tomb is empty and you're confused. I'm praying a blessing upon you that you will believe the words of Jesus. I am with you. Do not fear. Let's pray. Lord, our prayer is that that we would see your presence even though we cannot see you physically. That we would believe in the one we cannot see that even amidst empty tombs of our lives now, that we would turn and see you with us. You've not abandoned us. Lord, pray for anyone here who has come and listening, and maybe if they had to put their status somewhere online, it would be sad or discouraged or lonely or worried or doubting. And Lord, I pray for them specifically that they would hear your voice and you saying, hi. Do not fear. I'm with you. I pray for those waiting for the healing. I pray for those who are still looking for answers of why this loss, why this detour, Lord. I know we may not get the answers in this life, but we pray, Lord, for these friends that they would see your presence, that we would not fear living because our past feels so overwhelming. All the losses Lord, may we know in the midst of the losses that you are with us. But Lord, we do pray for healing. We do pray for hope. We do pray for those who are looking for a touch of your life today by the power of your Holy Spirit. We say, welcome, Lord. Welcome to this place. Enter in. Make yourself known. Thank you, Jesus, for that empty tomb. We sing about you and to you. May your resurrection life fill us anew today. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.